Uh, we've been working our way through Romans for, uh, I don't know, about three quarters of eternity, it seems like. And we're up to chapter 12. And uh, just to tell you what's happened up till now, in Romans 1, Paul talk, talked about the fact that uh, the whole world's under sin. And uh, the wrath of God is actually being revealed on earth against all ungodliness. And, at, and in chapter 2, he talked about a, a, a consciences being mixed up because they're not packed with the law of God. And in chapter 3, he just hit us all on the head and said, we, the whole world is hopelessly lost in sin. No one even seeks God. But then a righteousness of God has come into this world through Jesus Christ, which people call alien righteousness. A righteousness that's come not because of any goodness that was here. It's come as a gift from God. It's, and uh, it's the thing that gives us the most assurance in our salvation. We've been saved completely by God's free gift when Jesus took his wrath for our sins on the cross. And in chapter 4, he talked about how faith in that gift was the, the most important thing. We trust in that gift. And, and then uh, in chapter 6, we heard that um, we actually, it's not just that sin's been forgiven in our lives, but He's actually given us a power over sin. Sin no longer is the victor in our lives. But then in chapter 7, he went back down in this hole and said, even though we've got this victory over sin, we struggle with it. There's this war going on in our lives. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in us, but our old sinful nature's there and then we want to do some things, but we don't do others. And then in chapter 8, he said, but we have the Holy Spirit. And, then, and there's this kind of this crescendo, I think, where he says, because the Holy Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father, and we know the Father, and we know we've been made holy, so we can relate to the Holy Father, and we can cry out, and we can know him, and nothing can separate us from his love that's in Christ Jesus. And then um, chapter 9 to 11, we heard about the sovereignty of God, God's sovereign over all things and and uh, like it's been a great thing. But what we've really found is in the first 11 chapters, we've had about two commands. They were both in chapter 6. Don't let sin reign in your, in your lives. 11 chapters of the Bible with hardly any commands. There's a reason for that. Paul wants to lay out, this is all that God's done for you. It is all a gift from him. But in chapter 12, suddenly there's a turning point. And from now on, she's all commands. Because when you understand what God's done for you through Jesus, all of a sudden, you want to live a life which is obedience. Now, it's not that he hasn't talked about obedience up to now. He's talked about it the whole way through. But you see, the point he's making is obedience is not about pull your socks up, get yourself together and better yourself. It comes because Jesus has done something for you. And when you know that and you live in the power of the Spirit, you, your life will be changed. Not because you want to become a better person, but because you will be a better person because God's in you and you trust in him in light of the gospel. I hope that makes some sort of sense. That's an overview of where we are up till now. And uh, so we've got two verses tonight, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I don't know if they're up there. Oh, there we go. Yep. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies... As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. I urge you, he begins, in response to what God has done, in response to God's mercies, okay, in light or in view of the gospel, that is the motivation and power, um, in response to God's grace, as we sung before, live in the gospel, everything that takes place in the gospel, when you live in that gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ will outwork in you and you will live the Christian life. Now, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means your bodies. That means every part of you offer to God. Every aspect of the life, everything you do, every part, everything you do with your body, which is actually all of you really, isn't it? But also what you do with your mind. But let that all be given to God. This is a big thing. And it's a sacrifice which is living. Now, I don't know if we don't really, we're not in the habit of sacrificing. We stopped killing goats at church years ago. Um, not necessary. Jesus comes at once for all sacrifice. But this, you don't have a sacrifice that's alive because <laughs> you kill it by definition. We die to ourselves in Christ. We die to our dreams and our desires and we live to him. We've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but now the life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God and everything is about him. So we are a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, holy, you have been made holy, right? God is working in you to make you holy. That's sanctification. So you are holy and you're being made holy and therefore live every moment of your life pleasing to God, holy and pleasing to him. Okay. Because what's happened through Christ has changed us and changed everything. You see, we need to know that it's all of our bodies and all of our life because this, in the past, church has been about, well, there's been lots of times where I know my dad talked about church in the 1950s and he said, everybody went to church in those days. He said, most people went to the pub and got drunk on Saturday night and everybody went to church on Sunday, yeah, had their sins forgiven and then did whatever they liked during the week some of them went to a Bible study, but not many. Because, you see, there was this thought of the religious life. I'm a Christian. I go to church, just like I'm a hamburger. I go to McDonald's. Um, but that was a joke. Right. Um, I'm not really a hamburger. People saw their religious acts as being Christian. But, but can you see what Paul's doing here? He's saying, offer your bodies... Everything you do, everything you are as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Like every moment of your life, all that you are. Now, it's not just, yeah, I go to church. Now, it had always been the case in the Old Testament when people, you remember in Jeremiah 7 where the people said, we're untouchable. We're in Jerusalem and the temple of the Lord's there. So what can happen to us? And God says, this is Jeremiah 7, don't say that. 
because your hearts are far from me. You're worshipping idols and then you're coming and sacrificing at the temple. Uh, And and he he says things like in Amos, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Now, can you imagine that if someone said, if, if God said, your religious acts, your church service, they're a stench to me. That'd be a bit, bit of an ouch, wouldn't it? Mm. But if, if you see, if it's not your whole life lived out under the gospel, live, live as an act of, uh, of worship to God, actually you're just a religious person. And that's not what God uh, is about. Does, does that make sense? It's a little bit, this is an affront, this is an affront to me, it's an affront to all of us. But you see, um, the Christian's life, every moment, is an, is an act which is holy and pleasing to God, which means our relationships, our marriages, our friendships, our work, our parents, parenting, our thoughts, our conversations, our eating, our drinking, our finances. Well, they're ours. We'll lend them a bit to God. Um, Yep. Now, what, what I'm not saying here is I, I remember talking to a man in a men's group in South Australia, so, you know, people are a bit, not, they're a bit dull down there. But this, this guy, he said, um, I don't really worship when I go to church. And I said, what do you mean? He said, my wife, she's good at worshipping. I said, what does that mean? Oh, she sings and she puts her hands up, but I don't worship. And I said, so worship's only at church, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I said, what about when you pick an orange because he's an orange girl? What about when you pick an orange Oh, well, sometimes I might, you know, hum a Hillsong song while I'm picking orange. I said, no, no, no. Picking oranges is an act of worship. All of your life is an act of worship when God is at the centre through Jesus Christ. Can you see? He, he sanctifies everything and he makes every moment a matter, a place of worship. Everything matters. Okay. A true knowledge of the gospel changes everything. If you know, or as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, uh, he simplifies it down a, little, a bit, he says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. So what your life is made to look like, if Jesus has died for you to make you right with God, if he has died to take away your sins, that's an incredible cost, isn't it? That would mean that your life is not lived the way you might think it should be lived. It should be lived for God. Okay, we'll talk about what that means in a minute a bit more. Okay. But this is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship. It, the Greek says there, uses this word, which is basically logical. This is your logical act of worship. It's your reasonable. It's reasonable. If Christ has done everything for you, it's reasonable that everything would be an act of worship towards God, isn't it? Yep. That everything would be holy and pleasing to him. That's right. So what does that look like? Does it mean, as Christians have been in the past, well, you've got to give up everything pleasurable then? Okay? Christians are about what you should not do. Well, it, it, it can't be that because God made food. And actually, in, in, in 1 Timothy, says everything's made 
to be good, uh, to be eaten and enjoyed under, in God's creation. He made it to be enjoyed. So he made good food. Who enjoys a good steak here? Yeah. Who enjoys a good tofu? No, <laughs> that's, just, that's not real. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. God made good food. He definitely made chips. Like, yeah. Uh, but you know, gluttony doesn't help anyone, does it? He made money, but greed and love of money is disastrous. He made Lego. Yeah, not to be worshipped. <laughs> he made all things, but he is at the centre. And if he is at the centre and life revolves around him and the gospel informs every part of our life, then we can enjoy those things, but they're not everything to us. We can have a good steak and other days we can have two-minute noodles. And we can't think that our life has suddenly fallen in a heap. You see, the gospel informs our life, the gospel changes our life, and then every moment has meaning. Yeah? Everything changes. And so what it means is we can enjoy our work. But, it, but it's not where our identity comes from. It's not where our meaning comes from. We just enjoy it. Our families will be enjoyed, but they won't be where our identity comes from. Yep, otherwise, we're going to have moments where we're just destroyed. We can vote in an election, but our hope is not found in politicians. Whew, isn't that good? Whew, our hope's found in God alone. That's, make an informed vote, but don't put your hope in them. Yeah? We'll look to God and give thanks when we suffer and, and when we're sick because we have a resurrection hope. Do you understand? When life is based in Him, then everything else changes for the good because it's, we don't get our instruction for life, the basis of our life, from ourselves. Logically, reasonably, if God is the creator and the redeemer and the father and the king of all, then logically our life comes from him. Our meaning comes from him. Our, 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 our instruction comes, everything comes from him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, how do we get that instruction? How do we know how we should live? Well, it's quite simply. Through the word, the Bible, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Every part of our life is addressed. If you read the Bible, your life will be addressed. Yeah? Okay, so I want to just, I'll step into the next verse and then we'll talk about that the scripture and the Holy Spirit. Because the next verse he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I, I actually, uh, uh, I've been reading, uh, in Greek, it's, it's probably more of a translation to say this. Stop allowing yourselves to be conformed to this age. Stop allowing yourself to be conformed, <coughs> but continue to let yourself be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we'll take up the first bit. Stop allowing yourself to be conformed to this age. Because I can tell you this. This world you live in is trying to shape you. It is trying to mould you. It's trying to teach you. And it's trying all the time. Okay? It's ideals, it's ideologies, it's philosophies, whatever you want to call them, are always in your ears. Sometimes we don't recognise it because we're so used to it. It's there all the time. The devil, the world, the flesh are trying to put their stamp on your life every day. Yeah? 
They're telling us what we should value, what we should pursue, what we should love, how we should love. They're saying how our fulfilment can be found. Yep. Just just stop for a minute and look at the ads, ad break in one of your TV shows if you watch TV. That'll be showing you how to get fulfilment. It'll probably be by a swifty sweep or something like that, which will make your life easy. Yeah, or one of those beds that you can sit in the zero gravity position. Oh, It'll be... <laughs> the world is always trying us telling us what our values should be, what we should believe, how we should act, where we should find our pleasure. It is trying to shape us in what we should trust, what we should put our hope in. It's telling us what is of great value. It's telling us how we should look. Yeah, almost every one of us dressed tonight in how we should look, and we thought, no, no, I just dress as me. I just dress as me as I'm comfortable with the way that everybody else looks at me. Of course, <laughs> yeah. What we should wear, how our houses should be decorated, how our houses should be a bit bigger than they are, what kind of transport we should use. What I'm saying is this: the world is preaching to you every day. This is what you should be. This is what you, how you should be. And also, the world is telling us this. This is what you should think about God. Well, if you're going to have a God, I tell you, he should... No, sorry. If you're going to have a God, it should look like this. Right? It's going to be a nice God that always causes you to be nice and, and has no real rules about anybody else in life and it definitely doesn't have sin and, or anything. It's just the nice God. This is what... He should look like. What's the TV's doing this? The internet's doing this? Facebook never does it. That's all safe. Facebook's right. Instagram's not so good. Um, that's also a joke. Our leaders are telling us what, how we should live. Uh, the opposition is definitely telling us how we should live and, and how the others should live yeah, and where they're wrong. And they are seeking to indoctrinate us with their truth. Okay? But the truth they're teaching is actually a lie. That's, that's it. They, because they are coming from a place which is not based on a righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. It's not coming from a creator God. It's not coming from a God who's king and ruling over this whole world. It's not coming from there. So it's a lie. You see? Because it, what affects every moment of our life is living in worship of the God who's done all this for us. So he says this, stop allowing yourselves to be conformed to this age. Don't let this age shape you anymore. If you're feeling obligation, if you're feeling guilt from anything and from other people, and if you're feeling shame, shame most always comes from what we're thinking other people think of us, not what actually other people think of us, but what we think other people think of us, based on some worldly construct. Okay, Don't let these things shape you. Don't be conformed and shaped by this age. But continue to let yourself be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's good to have a mind, isn't it? Isn't that good? Do you know what the Greek word for mind is? Nous. That's where we get the word nous. He's got a bit of nous, that fella, hasn't he? That's the word used here. Uh, transformed by the renewing of your nous, of your minds. Because... You see, at first, how this works out in our beings is the Holy Spirit comes to us with the truth of Scripture 
And where does it go in through? Well, generally in through your eyes, sometimes in through your ears. Yeah? If you're blind, it'll go in through your feet, touch. But do you understand? It comes into our minds. And there, from there, God actually transforms us. I say that because some people say, no, don't worry about the written word. Don't worry about that. Just let God speak to me. And, and ever since we've been Christians, we've seen people, and the, and the stuff they come out with, oh, God said this. You think, what a lot of rubbish. That's not God. How do you know? Does it fit with Scripture? Yeah? There's got to be a basis somewhere, doesn't there? That's Scripture. Be transformed by Scripture. Now I'll tell you, if you read... Not just the bits you like in Scripture, but if you read all the Scripture, just start with the New Testament and just go through every point, you'll be challenged severely before too long. It will push on you. Because what's it actually pushing against? Do not be conformed by the world. It pushes against the world. It's against the world almost at every point. Do you understand what I'm saying? The word transformed is a Greek word, metamorphed. Yeah, you know where that comes. You know, people use the metamorphosis of the of the caterpillar, which goes in the cocoon, and then what goes on in there. It's a bit of a secret; you can't really watch it. And and but the, apparently, it, there's this incre- incredible struggle going on as as it breaks free, and it's the pushing and the struggling of the of the caterpillar in the cocoon, which forces energy into the wings. Apparently, if you open the cocoon, out comes a butterfly. It's all weak and pathetic. And its wings haven't performed and things like that. It's the, actually the, the pressure and the struggle of what's going on in there which shapes the strength and the beauty of the butterfly that comes out. You get that? Yeah. Well, what is the struggle that we are going... What is the struggle in our life? It is actually a struggle with the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is it doing to us? It's making us beautiful for a start. You can see that obviously with me. Um, it's making us strong. No, 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 it's, it's actually sanctifying us. It's changing us as God changes us. Can you, can you see what I'm saying? As we engage with the scripture, in the power of the Holy Spirit, our minds are transformed. Now, I want to also encourage you this. If you're reading scripture and you find a bit that's hard, or you find a bit that you don't understand, pause and work on because you see, actually, quite often what happens is, and, and I, I, you know, I remember someone saying about Ananias and Sapphira, very hard passage, Acts 5. Yeah, I, no, I don't get that. No, I don't go there. Right. Okay. So do you, do you rip that page out or do you just cross it out? Like, what do you do? You're going to work on that passage and find out what is actually behind what's going on there and what's God doing and what does it mean for me? Are you, are you going to actually allow yourself into the struggle or are you just going to go, nah, not for me? Because what it's fighting against, that passage and multiple others, is what the world teaches you about how it should be. God should not do that to two people. That's what, that's what our mind says, doesn't it? Yeah? So you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed. I hope you understand that. What I'm saying is struggle with the scripture. If you're really struggling with it, talk to, talk to a friend. Ring up somebody. Read a book. Perhaps look on the internet. You're going to find some crazy stuff there, but that's okay. Look on a reliable site. You understand? 
engage with the scripture because there is where the struggle of the spirit and the word happens in us and it will change us. We will be transformed and our minds will be renewed and through the renewing of our minds it will flow out to our thoughts, to our words, to our motivations, to our actions and we'll be changed. Because actually I know this world talks a lot about love but most times when it's talking about love it's talking about pleasure, right? I, I, I get my jollies from another person and it's all about me. But the love scripture talks about is a love which is completely giving of yourself to another person, dying to yourself, serving them. Giving. That's not the love that people want to hear about. I know they want to be served and loved by everybody. But you see, even, even the words that, the, that our world uses, it's, using, it's talking about something totally different. When we find out in, 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 in the Bible, this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as, as a sacrifice for us, then we find out about a different sort of love. Do you understand what I'm saying? Study the scripture because all scripture is God-breathed. That's, this is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, how much of it? All right. So you open to a page in scripture, you're going to find a part that's God-breathed. Right? Yeah. And is useful for teaching. And rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You'll be sanctified by the Word of God. You'll be cleansed and made holy and you'll be changed. Okay? Or just find a bit you disagree with. It really, if you really, really disagree with it, I'm saying just rip it out. <laughs> You're better off. Okay. Work hard, struggle with it. Don't conform to the pattern of this world because the pattern of this world is constantly crowding our thoughts. It's constantly crowding our, our motivations. It's, it's crowding in on our actions. It is trying to shape us down that path. Let the Holy Spirit in through Scripture transform you because Jesus has done something to make you holy, to make you righteous, to completely cleanse you. Okay, And, and so surely... We should be renewed in the image of our creator, as Colossians says. Renewed in his image, not what we think we should be. That'll be the world, what God thinks we should be, who we should be. Okay, donate after the world. Don't conform to the world. Know the Father. Let your ache of your heart be a worship of knowing the Father, knowing Jesus, knowing the Holy Spirit, and loving what they love. What God loves, not what the world loves. Okay. This is hard, and if, I want you to understand this. You cannot do it. Okay. <laughs> Just told you all that for nothing. It can happen only, firstly, if you're born again through Jesus Christ. And secondly, that sanctification can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. You need him to do it. Let it happen. Don't fight God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. 
His good, pleasing and perfect will. Then you can prove and find and know and do what God wants you to do, which is living life to the full. And it's also enjoying steak. Do you understand? I'm not talking about the miserable life. That's not what God has for us. It is a life of joy in light of the gospel. If you don't live in light of the gospel, sometimes you're going to feel guilty about that state. Or you're going to have, it's going to cause you problems. Do you understand? But in the gospel, you can enjoy life as it's given to you. Think on the gospel, on the grace of God and the holiness of God. Think on the love of God and the wrath of God against sin. Hold them both. Because there you'll know him. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll live in God's good and perfect will. And you'll be sanctified moment by moment in your life. And every action and word and thought and motive will become an act of worship. Which is what you were created for. To worship God. I'm going to pray. Father, our desire is to worship you in all we do. But it's a war, we, we admit, and we often fall into sin and we often fall into the ways of this world. We're often conformed. Father, I pray that you would, by your power, remind us that we were bought at a great price through Jesus Christ. And Father, that you would give us the desire by your Holy Spirit to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. I pray that we would no longer be conformed by this world, but we would be transformed and that you, by your word and your spirit, that you would transform our minds and, Father, that you would bring about a complete change in us, which is in light of the character you brought us when we first believed when we were born again in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would change us to righteousness as you've already made us righteous. I pray that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling because you've saved us and because you've loved us. And I pray that you would move in every part of our life, sanctifying us, making us holy in your good and pleasing will. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.